Welcome, everybody, to the next instalment of the Upscale Business Podcast. I'm Mitch Van, and I've got Arena and Nathan with me here today. How are we, guys? Really well, mate. How are you? I am a solid 9.71 out of 10. Wow. Nice. Yep. That's what? great. Why so high? I actually don't think that that's so high, but um, it just life's good. Everything possible 10, you don't think a 9 point? It's very rare I slip below a 9. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, I just think everything's good. What have I got to complain about? It is good. Life is good. That's great. Um, how about you? What are you? 10 out of 10. Woo! There you go. Is that rounded up, but like you actually are nine point one and you're rounding up or nine point two? Yeah, it's ten out of ten, you know. Yep, straight. You, mate, my life's a ten out of ten. Oh, no, see, no. I, I, I'm a little bit tired, so I was going to with a feel, say, a feeling an eight, but I am a ten. Did feeling you have an eight. Coffee today? I did with caffeine. Yeah, it didn't do anything. I know. Maybe you haven't done it long enough. I've recently started caffeine again. First day rattled me. Second day. I'm just feeling normal again. <laughs> why? Well, I think that this is what caffeine No, does. no. Why did you start it again? Why? Well, it all started with a bit of pre-workout. I had a pre-workout and I had the best workout of my life. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give caffeine a go again. Last of the day. And now I just feel like every time I have a coffee, I'm coming out of detox. It's <laughs> <laughs> one day. It's, it's a slippery slope. Let's retouch on this in a couple of weeks and see where you're at with the coffee. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Look, I, I don't want to keep running it, if I'm honest. Um, it's an yeah. expensive habit. But I was drinking decaf anyway. I think they charge you more for that. They take something out, but they charge you more. I don't understand it. It's like an iced coffee. They charge you more for it. Yeah. But they just put ice in it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about? I think we're going to talk about um, the next steps you have to take when you start your business. You know, there's a lot of people out there that look at what other people are doing in business and they want to do what they are doing. So they're looking at like managing a team, but they're actually by themselves. So they don't really have to focus on that stuff quite yet. So we want to talk about in the next few episodes, just, you know, step-by-step what you should be focusing mainly on for where you are. Different stages of business. business. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to start by talking around the, before you hire, yeah, when you're space. by yourself. So, yeah. yep. what do you what do you focus on? What should you focus on? Yep. So, in the service based game, we're talking about for the people that are zero to thirty. If you're uh, have materials that you can build with thirty k revenue, thirty k revenue yep. that you can build with, and if you haven't got materials, let's say you're in the cleaning space or another service based game where there's not a massive amount of materials, you can add on maybe around fifteen k. So, anyone from zero up to thirty k. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it might you know just look at it going, okay, I don't really have any more hours to put in unless I work massive, massive days yep. where you sort of hit that ceiling. So your numbers might be slightly different. But mm. if it's just you and you notice, okay, I can't actually fit any more jobs into my schedule, um, that's sort of that space when you're still by yourself. But that's what we're talking about. Mm. I think too many businesses stay in this stage for too long. I think there's too many people out there that get Fear, fear comes up, they get scared, they don't know what to do. And I really, I think this could be a really good episode to help them through that next stage. Like, what are you meant to focus on now? What are the foundational pillars you want to build into your business so you can move to the next point? I think financially, there's a few reasons why a lot of businesses stay there as well. Mm-hmm. Like the, the common theme that I see when sole trader goes out on his own, his or her own, they go out there, they look at what their competitors are charging they go in and become a little bit cheaper and offer a bit more. 
Yep. And essentially they own their own job. Mm-hmm. They're not really in business. They just own their own job and they've got a bit more freedom than they would having worked for an employer. So there's a lot of these kinds of things we've got to work out as well so we can actually get to that stage where we can afford to hire yes. a new staff member. Yep. All right, so let's break it down into a couple of parts. We've obviously got getting ready to hire, so getting ready for that next person. We've got making sure your revenue is at a point where you can afford that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we've got to build the revenue side of the business through um, client acquisition. We've also got some systems we want to build to really utilize our time because at this point, it's just us. It's mm-hmm. just you on your own. There's no one else in the business. So therefore, every hour counts. So there's the system side of things. There's also a bit of freedom. Like you want to make sure that you are enjoying life. Mm-hmm. You're doing the things that you ultimately set out when you left your job to go and do. Like, I want to have some more time to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, to take, after yourself, take care of yourself. Yeah, be there for the kids, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And um, efficiency. You want to make sure that you are running efficient. You want to make sure that you are making money, making profit. Your cost of operations is where it should be and you're charging right. Yep. Yeah. You want to set this framework right now as well because this is going to be the framework which everything scales off. Yep. Yep. So I think it's it's really important to have a think about what it is that you are trying to achieve with your business. What are your future goals? And we need to look at how we can reverse engineer those goals to um, to structure your business around those. Yeah. Do you think anyone actually starts in this space, in the service-based game, and just wants to stay it just them? I think, we... I think some people might. Like, yep. I think initially, particularly if they've come from a very stressful situation previously or, um, you know, financially they might be in a comfortable spot, uh, that may be a desire. Some people are just looking for simplicity. I always find it really interesting when... We get, and you know, I don't want to. Anyway, I'll just I'll say what I'm going to say is when we get people kind of around the 45 to 50 year old mark mm-hmm. reaching out to us for help, mm-hmm. and they say that they wish they did it earlier, that they've got to the point in in business where they've done it themselves for you know 15, 20 years, and now they're finally realizing, hang on a sec, the second I stop working, I've got no money. Yeah, I've all, got my all super. the eggs are in one basket. You- yeah, they haven't built this this machine that's going to keep running or they've built something that ultimately holds no value for someone else to buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So therefore they're in this situation where they've worked really, really, really hard for just their super. Mm. And, and at that point as well, you you come to a point where you may not have the motivation you once mm-hmm. had to actually put in the work that's required to, to build a business that um, is growing and scaling. Yeah. I think the other point when people stay in this phase is they might've had a team before. And they just notice it's not for them or they don't want to deal with that stress. Mm. Um, or they found it more stressful than other people to have staff and look after them and manage that. So they're quite happy by themselves and just, you know, doing their own thing, having their own schedule and being flexible and not having that extra pressure. So I think that's sort of that type of personality where, you know, that's can really, can be really comfortable as well. And that's totally fine. Um, so you just want to maximize that space and make the most out of it for yourself. Yeah. There is that pressure zone as well, where it normally happens somewhere between three and six staff, three and seven staff, where there's this massive pressure on you as an owner. There's not a huge amount more money that's being made, like Mm -hmm. not a huge amount more. Yes. There's more potential to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you feel like, is it worth it? Yeah, because the investment is far greater yes. to get the same kind of growth. Yeah, and you kind of need to push past that little tipping. It's like they're like a, 
like a pyramid. You can either go one way, you can either, you know, fall down the side and it feels like shit, or you can go off the other way and you can be like, oh my God, I'm finally at that point. My team's bringing in some great consistent profit each month. You know, maybe it's around 50, 60 grand profit a month mm. and we're growing and you know what? I can take time off and I can enjoy it with a family. Mm. I can have the things that I want and so on and so on. Yeah. I think coming from, I mean, there is this kind of illusion that, you know, if I just keep it all me and manageable, I'm going to be, I'm going to have freedom. Mm-hmm. But reality is there's no freedom in that at all because the business will always be completely reliant upon you. All problems will always fall on your shoulders. And if anything ever happens to you, you don't have the ability to step away and take some time. So yeah. I yeah. think I think it comes down to the structures and the way that we set ourselves up when we scale, which ultimately provides the peace and the freedom that we're looking for. Yeah. And I guess that's what we're talking about here today. Yeah. So, so let's jump in. All right. So let's. why don't we start where it all starts? Like, And I, when I say where it all starts, this is in my mind where it starts. <laughs> Lead gen. I was just about to say it. (laughs) Lead gen. Lead gen. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can have a product, you can have a service, you can have whatever it is that you want it to be as the greatest possible service in the world. But if you can't sell it to someone, you're not going anywhere. If you're not going to get some customers, it's not going to go anywhere. So let's start. Let's start there. Any successful business it's kind of irrelevant how good their product is or even how good their service is. It all comes down to their ability to have customers, right? Because if you've got customers, you've got money and with money, there's no problem that can't be solved. Yeah. Right. So definitely lead gen. And there's a, there's a few sides to lead gen. So lead generation is a, I would say marketing is a component of that, Mm -hmm. you know, how we're attracting people using our money to do that. Yep. And then we've got the leads that we can generate through the time and effort we put in yep. uh, to, to bring that work in. Yeah. So I call this the farmer hunter analogy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one looks at farming, which is, you know, we go and plant a crop, we go do some stuff and then we wait for it to come to us. Yeah. And then we've we got, water. The hun- we've yeah, got we water, water it. it. Yeah. We've got to tend to it. Yep. And but- then we've got the hunter that goes out and really, you know, they, they take what they want. Mm-hmm. They go and get those clients. They go and get the leads they go and get the money coming in mm-hmm. um i talk a lot about in this space when we're talking it's just you you can effectively build a business a great successful business if it's just you on the back of having one or two acquisition channels firing really with it really well mm-hmm. yep um and if we pick one from each camp let's say we go with the um the marketing side what are you going to pick for marketing hands down i'd, I'd pick google yep google ads Yep. Yeah. If if I could only invest money into one space, particularly for the service industry, I'd say Google Ads. Yep. Reason being is that with Google, you, you're engaging with people at a time they're looking to buy. So they've got a problem. They're looking for a solution. They go to Google, they type in electrician, painter, plumber, whatever it be, and they pick up the phone and call the first person that they find. The conversations often aren't around price. It's more about availability. Um and if it's time stri- until solution, yeah, time yep. until solution, exactly right. If uh, you can get out and solve the problem, I don't really care what it costs. And uh, as a small business owner starting out, it could be really helpful to have those kind of clients to work with. Yep, yep. Now, if we talk about the hunting side of it um, in lead gen, for me, it's around the cold call space. Yep, but it's actually a little bit before that when mm. we're at this level. It's about firstly utilizing your own network. And by network, I just mean reaching out to the people that you know, but also the businesses that you frequent now. 
you know, going around, you, we all have a real estate that we deal with, whether we are an owner and we bought from someone or we're a, you know, a renter, mm-hmm. you know, and that gives us a space where we can walk in the door. We have a relationship with someone already and we can go and maybe get some clients from there. We walk into petrol stations, you know, once a week, twice a week, whatever it looks like. We can build a relationship there. Mm-hmm. We go to restaurants, we go to bakeries, we go to cafes, we go to news agents, we go to so many different businesses that we can walk in the door and start having conversations with those people. And the importance of this is that it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you anything. It's time. Yeah. So, you know, we especially starting out when cash flow and, and budgets are small, we're going to have limited ability to market. And so we've got to look at ways that we can generate leads and generate customers without spending dollars. Yeah. If we want to talk about the amount of time we should be spending at this point, the minimum is two to four hours on actual acquisition of clients. But it should be as much as you can. Exactly. Yep. That's the key is that you have so much volume of time available to you at this level. You know, you're not working effectively, you know, 40 to 50, or you shouldn't be unless you're, unless you're currently charging too low. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you realistically should, at this point, won't be working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks yep. to generate that amount of revenue. Like if we're talking about 20 to 30 grand in revenue, you don't have to be working your 460 hours a month available to do that. Mm. You can work less on the tools. And so therefore you've got a surplus of time that can be spent to go and acquire more clients. And you actually need to spend that time to do that. Mm. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's super important that you go out and actually keep that machine running because if you're just getting too busy on the tools, Mm. you'll notice really quickly. And this is what I see a lot where it gets quiet because there was a busy period of two weeks and then the outreach, the, it was just forgotten or it was too busy to do that. So even in that stage, just getting used to the two to four hours of outreach and making it a priority to keep driving the business forward and even just maintaining it, you'll find that sweet spot, right? Where you know if I do this much mm-hmm. every week, I'll just keep having my schedule booked two weeks or three weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. And I need to keep doing that to keep you know having the work come in it, they call it the motion of the ocean paradox uh-huh. the motion of the ocean paradox which is we do a huge amount of legion we get a lot of work when we've got a lot of work we aren't doing much legion so it's mm. up and down like the ocean mm. yeah. and we want to be flat we want to be flat like a river that doesn't have massive you know currents and so forth and mm. waves and everything mm. it's not a fluctuation it's flat the majority of the time you guys have heard of the 80 20 rule yep you know, 80% of the money that we generate comes from 20% of what we do. And a lot of time in the early stages of business, I see people getting really stuck on things to make them look busy or feel like they're working, but they need to be allocating 80% of the time to that 20% of what actually generates them work. So that is, and make no mistake, it is the outreach component. Going and seeing customers, acquiring more businesses so you can generate more income. Yep. I think letting your friends and family know as well when you're looking for work because they go to petrol stations, they deal with real estates, mm-hmm. they have their own connections. So if you have, um, if you're just open about that and told people like, hey, let everyone know, you know, um, you can actually utilize your network in your immediate surroundings as well. To yep. It's that. like that ripple effect yep. or the M3 in an economic term which is, you know, if I spend $100 with someone, then they have $100 to spend with someone and then they go and spend it. Then that person has $100 to spend with someone and that person just keeps going. Mm. It's the same thing here. Like our network is I know you and you know people and those people know people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if we just start thinking about, you know, our immediate circle and write down a list of all the, the, 
the people that we have contact with, mm. we start to understand that we actually know a massive amount of people mm. and that they can actually do a lot of the marketing for us mm-hmm. in those early stages. I think we've also got to look for the low-hanging fruit. Like we've got limited time, so we've got to look at where we're investing that time and we've got to put our energy into the potential clients that will have the most impact. You know, so early days, businesses like real estates where, you know, meeting and and making a relationship with one contact could potentially mean having 300, 400 potential jobs coming your way um, is is a good utilization of time versus reward. Yep, yep, definitely. The other side of that, the flip side of that is a lot of the time we discredit what someone can bring us. And I was talking to someone the other day on a coaching call and they they were like, oh, you know, I, I went and saw this lady the other day and, you know, I didn't really think any of it. She, you know, she was an old lady in a bakery, but it turned out she had 15 investment properties, mm. 15 investment properties. And now he is going and doing um, safety and efficiency checks on all of those properties, mm. doing the smoke alarms at all of those properties. And now because he has a preferred partners program, he's also able to hand out mass amounts of work to his plumbers, to his pest management team. And all of those kind of things, it just keeps on exasperating. So a lot of the time we we look at our own personal network and we don't understand the value it holds. Mm. There can be a diamond in the rough in there. And that just goes back to how you're interacting with your customers and treating them well will also have an impact on your ability to get referrals. Yes, 100%. You know, your reputation is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Prepping too higher. Because ultimately we're going to get the leads coming in. And then to even break out of that 30K, we have to prep to hire someone. Mm -hmm. In that space, about zero to 30, what, if anything, should we be doing around getting ready for people to come on? Yeah, I think for me, the the, when we look at our marketing and, and, uh, you know, people's, customers' ability to wait or, you know, willingness to wait to get in to see somebody usually caps at about two weeks. So if we're fully booked on our schedule for about two weeks, we're going to be hitting capacity in terms of the amount of work we're going to be able to take on. Um, So I think it's really important that we're conscious around that. And, you know, when we're able to, when we're able to bring on the next staff member should be at around the two week mark. So when our schedule is booked out two weeks in advance. Yep. Awesome. So that gives us a bit of a trigger. Then what should we we be doing in the business? You know, should we have our van sign written? Should we have, be looking at other vans? Could we have uniforms? Like what what things can need I, to occur here? Can I chime in here a bit? Yeah. So prepping to hire for me, um, before you do that, make sure you're already pricing yourself correctly. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. Because it's awesome. You, you're booked out two weeks in advance. You're feeling really busy and you want to put someone else on. You're going to come apart if you're actually already not making money by yeah. yourself. If you're running a loss. So you need to make sure that you can run financially and you understand what's going on in your business financially while you're by yourself. And you want to know that your systems around invoicing are proactive and not reactive. Mm-hmm. So when you do work, you want to invoice that as soon as possible. Invoice that day. I think that's a good rule. Yeah. That, yep. At I, the end of each day. Give yourself 30 minutes to do the invoicing for the day. Yep. So if you need to set up systems or templates or pre-bills to invoice more efficiently so you can get it done at the end of the day, focus on that. Put some time aside to just get that invoicing system up to date. So you could theoretically hand that to someone else because it's so easy to do because you've got it built out and you don't need to put in too much. Um you know, you want to make it like foolproof 
really easy to understand. So you can do it at the end of each day and send them out. Um, have your automatic invoice follow-ups set up, have all your systems in place so people actually pay you on time as well. So if you can charge while you're still on the job site, do that. And then you'll be able to teach that to your next staff member as well. But that is going to massively help with cash flow, which you'll need when you hire. Um, also, I can't believe, just quickly, I yeah. can't believe how much fear people have around putting their prices up. I was speaking with someone yesterday and their current price was you know, $80. That's what they charged themselves out at, you know, for, for the hour. And the reality was their competitors, we did a competition analysis and their competitors were charging themselves out at 120. And they were like, yeah, but they're so much bigger than me. Why do you think people look at size and think that determines how much someone can charge? I think it actually just comes down to a lack of confidence in their their ability to attract more customers. Yep. I think it's it's purely that if you if you go and price yourself lower than the rest of the market, you'll naturally pick up more customers because you're shooting yourself in the foot and and you know you're the cheapest in the market, really. That's it. That's what attracts the clients. But again, 80-20 rule, 80% of your, your problems come from 20% of your customers. And the, the 20% of the market that are looking to pay the lowest price are also the most problematic. So not only are you not going to make money, you're also going to be dealing with the worst segment of the market. And I think it's just about building confidence in your product and building that value stack where you know that you're offering something that is different to your competitors and that you are at a premium and you offer a service that is better than your competition and therefore you can charge for it. Yep. I think what a lot of business owners don't understand is the bigger their team is, theoretically, the cheaper they cheaper can be becomes, yeah. because your operational expenses are spread across more people. Mm -hmm. It's like steel. It's easier to carry a big piece of steel if there's more people. Yeah, you have the ability to be more competitive. Spread that load. Yeah. Yep. Um. I also, I don't always think just putting up your price is always going to be the solution. I think you need to have a look at what you actually want to achieve and mm -hmm. if you're priced correctly because you can outprice yourself. Yes. Um, and then not win many jobs anymore. So you're going to be too expensive at some point. So if you're already at that point and you're charging a premium, um, you have to look at things like efficiency, um, you know, quality of materials, all that sort of stuff. Having a look at what else can you improve to to really run your business at a more profitable level. I think it, like, it was what segment of the market that you're trying to attract yes. attract as well. Like um, let's say you're an electrician and and you know you're primarily working with builders. Like it's it's going to be very hard to raise your pricing in in that category. But if we if we're talking about the residential market, very different. You can quite easily raise your price and you know charge at a much higher rate. So we've got to look at where we're looking to, you know, where we're pricing ourselves and what markets, um, particularly in the early days. Yep. Okay. So we've established our price. We've got some systems built out yep. in the business. So you're actually running profitable by yourself. Yep. You're running profitable by yourself. Yep. Um, and you know what? You're at that point. Um, if we talk about the actual getting ready to hire and so forth, on a legal sense, you know, we want to have our account management software set up. We want to have insurance. Yep. We want to make sure we get, if we're going to be hiring, we'll make sure that the insurer knows that we're hiring staff. Yep. Yep. If we're looking at vans, yeah, we want some level of profession, uh, professionalism there. People like coming into a business where they can see 
that there's the branding and so forth in play already. Yep, they like uniforms. No one wants to come to a business where they feel like a subby. Yeah. You know, where they feel yeah. like they're just, you know, like walking out into the world and there, there's nothing for it. Yeah, we've got to think about the culture component of, you know, what it's what's the appearance going to be like for that first employee? Yep. You know, what are we what are we doing to make them feel like this is going somewhere? You know, is there a, a plan, a pathway for this person? Are there events and things that we're doing to make them, you know, feel like they're having fun in the workplace? I think particularly now as well, these things are really important when it comes to hiring because that's what potential staff members are looking for in a in a place of employment. Yeah. And set yourself up for this. It's it's one of those things. People don't realize that, you know, if you are having lunch each day, then that culture when you do hire will transfer over. Mm. If on a Friday afternoon you go and do something that you enjoy, then that culture will transfer transfer over. A perfect example of this is we've got a client who's down in Jindabyne. His lifestyle is surfing and snowboarding. That's a big part of his lifestyle. And he has a house close to the beach. And he also has one up in Jindabyne. So he he kind of like navigates between the two. If you talk to him about what his team gets, they get a four-day work week. They get snow passes. They get the ability to snowboard during the day on you know days when it's been a massive dump and it's awesome you know conditions but because of what matters to him in his life mm. he did that when he was a sole trader it was just him and he took that picked it up and went you know what i'm going to make sure those things still mm. continue over when i go and get stuff what an amazing culture yeah mm. it's it's perfect mm. and then you compare that to someone that's sitting in the city or out regional it's like you can do all of these things and you can make sure that your team is having a great time when you do hire mm. but you also need to make sure that at this point in time when it's just you that you're also still enjoying yourself and having fun in business. Which is what we said at the start. You know, you've got to look at your own personal habits and find time and carve time for the things that you enjoy. So, you know, it, it does reflect further on down the track, but so you're happy and you're moving towards something as well for yourself. Yep. Yep. couple of questions. Do we need to have a massive onboarding process built out? Not initially. You, you'll you'll build that as you go. I think it's really important that you document it as you go through it the first time so then you can replicate it further on down the track. Yep. Onboarding, like on my side, obviously get all the payroll stuff, onboarding set up properly, make sure you check with Fair Work what you have to pay um, or, you know, what are those little add-ons that you have to sort out. I think that's very very important you need to tick those boxes you need to go on the fair work website and make sure you cover yourself there i wouldn't call that a massive onboarding process i would say this is standard with anyone you'll ever hire yeah um, so that's just something you know back yourself make sure you're doing the right thing uh, and you're just compliant with all the rules yeah um, do we need to have every system policy and procedure written out and documented no, no. i don't think so yeah, but it can be something that we're working towards. Yeah. From the legal side of things, we want to have what we're legally required to have documented. Yeah. But we don't need to have, you know, how do you how do you wash the vans? Yeah. Yeah. Again, if you get stuck on this kind of thing, you get analysis paralysis, and it'll it keep you stuck for years. Yep. You know, you're never going to be able to perfect everything before you you hire. You're going to have to do some of this stuff and think on your feet. Yeah. And and this is great, really. That first hire with the things that you that are not legally required you can actually get them to help you build it out mm -hmm. because they'll have questions that you wouldn't have thought about, but they will help you write it out for the next person and then they can teach them mm. uh, because they've been through it and it has been documented. Yeah. 
do we need to have a massive cash surplus sitting in the bank? Or what does the cash surplus need to look like in the bank, if any? Well, you know me. Yep. <laughs> I would say, yes, you do have to have a cash surplus, a, a buffer there. And what would you advise? How many weeks or months or whatever worth of expenses would you say to have? I'm just thinking, you know, Christmas period or January, December, November, any business really, you will have slumps where you don't have that much work. Um, if you're relatively new in business, you might not even know when they will happen. So you might, after a year, you're like, oh, I noticed that December was very slow and I took time off. And the following year, you notice that again. So you will want to be prepared for those times and be able to still pay your wages and your staff and all your other overheads. So how much you have to hold depends on how much you spend and how much those costs are. And like for me, if you have two months worth of like a buffer, that would give me a bigger level of comfort, but some people are fine with just having a month worth. Um, but if you're then planning on taking four weeks off, like where's that money going to come from once you've spent it? So, and it takes time to get that cash flow going again. So I think it's smart to build a buffer. Um, you know, if your business is making a loss and you're the owner, that loss has to be covered by you as the owner. So if you don't have it put aside, where's the money going to come from? Mm -hmm. Can I add to this? I, I, I completely agree. And I think it is smart to have a buffer if you can. I think I just take it back to, for me anyway, if there is customers and if you're doing outreach and you've got money coming in, you can potentially build this buffer as you grow your business as well. So we're in the early stages. We don't need to sit there forever. If we're booked out two months in advance and we're charging the right amount of money and there's plenty of money coming in, we can build that buffer as we go as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But it's all about, is the work there? Yeah. Like that's for me where it starts. You need to make sure that the work keeps coming in um, and that should be your main focus. And you don't need a massive buffer to move and make a move, but you need to have the work coming in mm. most of all because without the work, the money won't come in. I think one of the big things at this stage for me is that consistency is key. Mm. And when you are at this point and it's just you, you are the only one that can show up. Mm. You need to consistently be doing, you know, the lead gen. You need to consistently be doing the actual on-site work mm -hmm. to be consistently chasing up with clients and, you know, seeing what other things that you can do for them. It all comes down to consistency. And that in itself becomes a transferable skill and methodology that when you do bring on staff in the next stage, you're going to hand that over to them. You're going to show them that this business is built on consistently showing up time and time again, doing things in a consistently high quality way. Mm -hmm. And that's going to lead you to consistent growth. And I completely agree with that. I think consistency is the key to anything like consistency over time as results. Yep. With consistency, I think, you know, every day you're not going to be a hundred percent, but you just need to show up anyway. You know, sometimes you're not going to feel like doing your lead generation and you may only feel 70%. But if you show up and, and do that 70% that you've got, that's enough. You know what I mean? Just keep showing up no matter what. And it comes down to your time management. So build out your ideal week. Make sure that you've got all the business tasks on that ideal week. And as long as you're consistently showing up to all those tasks, even if you're not 100%, but you're just showing up, you're going to get the result over time. Yep. I like it. I like it too. We got anything else? 
think it's a good start. I think it's a great start. All right, guys. Talk soon. Thanks Bye. for listening.